Hey, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show. My name is Kieran, and this week I talk about how to start metal detecting. We have a regular tech timeout and of course some news from the world of metal detecting and treasure hunting. So let's get on with the show. Hey, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to my little podcast. Hopefully I am improving every week, and every week I do try to improve. Last week my sound wasn't up to par, so this week I've tried to focus on making my sound better. If you'd like to interact with the show, and I hope you do, please reach out to me on Twitter at DetectingThe, or Instagram at the Metal Detecting Podcast. Or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran, that's C-I-A-R-A-N, at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. So how do you start metal detecting? Well, let me start by telling you how I got started. At nine years old, I discovered the WizKids book called Treasure Hunting in my local library, and the rest was history. From that moment on, I was obsessed with getting a metal detector. But this was the 80s, and Ireland, where I grew up, was racked and in the middle of a recession, so asking my parents for a metal detector was not an option. Any spare money at the time was going to put food on the table. The only salve to this itch was the metal detecting catalogues my brother would bring home from university. I would read and read these catalogues till they fell apart. My favourite detector at the time was the C-Scope VLF 770D or something like that. I remember looking at that knowing I couldn't even afford the four 9-volt batteries it needed to operate. So till I could afford my metal detector, I started the search for old bottles and coins, etc. Telling myself I was treasure hunting. Lucky for me, I grew up in an old Crimean War army barracks, which doubled as an internment camp for the German pilots during World War II. So I was surrounded by history and I didn't even know it. But once I knew it, I was obsessed. My head was down all the time, so much so I developed a walk of, here's my head, my arse is coming. This continued for several more years till I got my first job and could afford to buy my first detector, which was the Bounty Hunter Quick Draw 2, and I was off to the races. I managed to get permission on one of the oldest houses in my locality, finding everything from a meteorite to 18th century coins and militaria. However, in the mid-90s, the law in Ireland changed to be more restrictive about where you could and couldn't detect, so I had to resort to detecting on beaches and rivers, and as you know, the Quick Draw 2 is not the strongest in this environment. I have upgraded several times over the years, but I still have it, and now my own son uses it to clean up the local beach, leaving all the goodies for his old man. So that's how I got started, but how can you? Well, if you're lucky enough... To have at your disposal approximately 300 bucks, you will have enough to purchase a good beginner detector. If you're looking for advice here, go back to episode 1 where I review the top 5 beginner detectors on the market today. But if you're young and don't want to ask mummy and daddy for the money, an entirely more honourable route to your hobby, then here's something you can do to get the money while scratching that itch of treasure hunting. This may seem childish and stupid, but firstly, get a jar. Secondly, check down the back of the couch regularly. Any kinds you find, put these kinds in your jar. And now you've started. It's as simple as that. Start magnet fishing. A quick search on YouTube will show you that this is the new jam. People are doing it all over the world right now. You will definitely find some history here, but mainly iron related. And unless you're going to sell what you find for scrap, you will be nowhere near your goal of 300 bucks. But maybe magnet fishing will be enough for you. And I guarantee you, if you find something of serious value, you will not want to sell it anyways. You could try mudlarking. 
Mudlarking used to be a term reserved for the Victorian women and children searching the anaerobic soil during the low tide of the Thames. But now you can see people walking with their heads down and you can tell those who have been doing it for years as their heads and their arses are coming. But you will have the same problem as before. You will not want to sell anything you have found. How's that jar of couch money coming along? Are you getting the idea yet? You don't need a metal detector to start treasure hunting. You need a set of eyes and good boots and you're off to the races. If you're like me and still wanted to get a detector, then you're going to just have to work for it. Get a job. Sell some of your old books and toys on eBay. Put that money to a second-hand detector and get out there. Save all your found modern coins in your couch jar. I used every modern coin I found with my Quick Draw 2 to purchase the MindLab Quattro at about 800 bucks. It took me a few years to get there, but I did it. I then sold that second-hand and with the proceeds of that and all the modern coinage I had found with it, I was well on the way to the CTX 3030. I never felt once that my hobby of metal detecting was a drain on my financial resources. In fact, it has bought me a pint or two over the years and not many people can say that about their hobbies. But when you do start, things you will need to get started. I said it before, good boots, not steel toe capped. Every detectorist has a story where they have spent the morning digging ghost signals only to realise they put on the wrong boots that morning. Proper wedding attire. Dress to suit the climate you're in. Sun cream. Don't be too macho to put on sun cream or wear a hat. You don't want to end up like a prune by the time you're 40. Because of sun cream, I'm gorgeous today. A proper spade. Not one of those trench tools. They are fine if you're traversing through the black forest, but jeebus, your knees will be wrecked from them. Plus, they rust like crazy. A trowel or a small hand shovel. Not the trench tool, now mind. Something you can noodle out of find from the side of, a cr of the crater you will have dug with your proper spade. A pouch of some sort, just somewhere to put your good finds. A garbage bag, for garbage of course. Always bring your rubbish off-site and dispose of it correctly. Always. And that's it really. If I'm leaving out something, don't be afraid to shout at me in the comments. Some people like to bring notepads and pencils, backpacks and maps, but they're not necessarily to get started. But be warned. There is nothing like the first disappointment of your first hunt where you dig a hundred holes only to find rubbish and scrap. Be ready to give it at least a couple trips out hunting before you give it up. Remember, you will need to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a keeper. Stick with it and it will be worth it. Time for take time out! Okay, cleaning your finds. Okay. Well, my first bit of advice is don't clean your finds. Don't clean them if you think for a second that you might have something of value, either monetary or historically. Don't clean it. No matter how much you want to do it, don't do it. If you must do it, then a bit of spit as soon as you pull it out of the ground is all I would recommend. In a minute, I would talk about abrasive versus non-abrasive techniques and even a bit of spit will be abrasive to your find as it provides lubricant for the dirt to move around and to scratch the find. If, however, your find is not of significant value to anybody else but you, then have at it, but be warned, I have destroyed completely some of my finds over the years because I went too far in cleaning. For me, the only goal of cleaning any find should be to create contrast in the strata or layers of the find, allowing you to see the detail and that's it. 
Your goal here is to clean the find. Some people think by cleaning the find by electrolysis that they are in some way restoring the find. Every method of cleaning is a reductive method, and that is, it is removing something from the find. Restoration is returning something to a find that has been removed due to years rotting away in the ground. Now, if you are the museum of some great city, then you have the resources to clean and restore a find properly, but this is beyond the realm of a normal metal detectorist. So, the goal we should have is in preserving the finds, in its best condition possible, ensuring accurate identification. So let's talk about abrasive versus non-abrasive methods. An example of both would be polishing for abrasive and electrolysis for non-abrasives. These terms are bandied about as one is better than another, when in fact both are reductive. They remove something from the find. For example, polishing creates micro-scratches that accumulate to produce the shine. Look at a silver coin under a microscope after polishing and you will see what I'm talking about. A polished coin can be of significant lesser value than a waxed coin that hasn't been polished. Now, electrolysis effectively removes the patina of age from a find, which sometimes is all that's holding that find together. Any holes, pits or deep scratches will readily be visible once a coin goes through electrolysis. So again, only do this if you know there is no relative value in the find. So how do you use electrolysis? I generally have experimented with electrolysis with cupro-nickel coins of limited value, and this is how I have done it. Firstly, what you need to do is find a low amperage DC charger, something below 1 amp. Then cut off the DC plug at the end of the wire, stripping and separating outboard wires. If you can, try to identify which wire is positive. This is easily done if you have a multimeter, but if not, the positive wire is normally the wire with the white dashed line on it. Or this line can be, this line can be a white solid line. If you can't identify the positive, this is not a problem. There's a neat little trick later to help you identify the positive line. Now, what you need now is a cathode. The best way to find an appropriate cathode is to pull a carbon brush from an old drill. Some people use stainless steel and I will not recommend this as this releases noxious gases that can be harmful. So I'm not even going to humor that with more information. So now you have your carbon brush, which will act as a cathode. Attach that to the positive terminal of the DC charger and attach the other line to the find you want to clean. I then put the find in a glass jar. It is very important that the container is a non-reactive vessel. I then add a little bottle of water with some baking soda added, about one teaspoon to, 500 ml, to a 500 ml jar. I flick on the power to the DC supply and look closely at the find. Now, here's the neat little trick. If there is bubbles coming off the carbon cathode, then you have a, the cathode connected to the negative line. What you want is the bubbles coming off the find. You can leave that going for as long as you like, depending on how much coin you want to have left. So watch carefully and remember, this is stripping away patina and detail off the find. Sometimes a minute is enough. Be careful with this, as this setup is a reductive setup. Now, bear with me, you can set it up with a metal cathode on the negative line and find and the find on the positive line this is effectively electroplating and the electrons from the cathode will travel across the liquid to be deposited on the surface of the find i do not recommend this for any precious metals of high value however this method can and is used to plate iron finds that would otherwise disintegrate in the open air if not plated 
So on to coin rollers. Okay, coin rollers or rock tumblers. Coin rollers should be reserved for your modern coinage only. This is by nature an abrasive technique. Essentially, you dump all your coins in a bucket with abrasive medium and liquid. You then close the bucket, which then gets tumbled over and over for days, slowly and very noisily cleaning and shining the coins. There is a reason these are normally called rock tumblers, as they are designed to accelerate the wear and tear on a rock surface till the rock has a polished riverstone look. Now, ultrasound or ultrasonic cleaners work by pulsing sound waves through a medium, normally water, which causes micro vibrations on the find and dirt on the find surface to essentially shake the dirt off the find. These are a nice to have, but in no way necessary. When cleaning metal detecting finds, in fact, using an old toothbrush with soap and water will do a better job than an ultrasonic cleaner. Where they are useful is when you have jewellery with lots of detail that can be crudded up with dirt and skin cells, etc. These will clean this right up and probably the reason most jewellers have an ultrasonic cleaner in their tool bench. However, do not use with gemstones as they can cause some stones to cloud up or worse, shatter, so always check first before using. I think they are next to useless for finds out of the ground, which we can all agree is the majority of our finds. Okay, so how would I clean my finds? Well, I subscribe to the toothbrush method. As soon as I get a find out of the ground, I give it a quick brush with some water and a toothbrush. This works a charm. However, if it needs a bit more of a clean, I would do the following. For silver, I would use the baking soda and water method of briefly and quickly giving a rub with a baking soda solution, removing the black from the surface. Another method I have used is the spit and tinfoil method. If you're not familiar with this, what you do is you spit in tinfoil, put your silver coin on the spit, wrap the tinfoil around and let it heat up and sizzle. By witchcraft, it stinks of sulfur as well, but actually works, I suspect, by some form of natural battery being formed between the two different types of metal and forming a self-contained electrolysis tank. Gold, I would not clean it at all. It is way too soft a metal to trust my attention span with. Gold only gets a rub of my fingers, allowing any grease I may have on my hand to help remove the dirt, and that's it. Copper. I would soak in a mild acid, maybe vinegar, but often my copper coins get put into a jar and forgotten about, as they are too toasted to do anything with them. Iron. Beyond knocking off any crustacean, I would electroplate as per previously discussed, but only if it was worth the time. Electroplating iron that has come out of the ground can take an extended period of time. It can take up to a year in some cases. Now this is by no means an exhaustive how-to on cleaning fines. We never talked about soaking fines in different concoctions and maybe we'll do that some stage in the future. And that's it for this week's Tech Time Out. If you have any opinions on what I have said or if I've got something blatantly wrong, don't forget to reach out to the show. On to the metal detecting news from around the world of the internet. News from around the world of metal detecting. From the hurryyetdailynews.com, treasure hunters have destroyed a historic site in Sile. Taking advantage of the measures against the coronavirus outbreak, treasure hunters have destroyed a historic building which is believed to be a Byzantine-era cistern in Istanbul in the Sile district. You can get the full story in the hurryyetdailynews.com. Links are in the show notes. 
and from the timenews.com did union soldiers ever camp in churchill ned jilton is asked to elaborate on whether union soldiers ever camped on churchill by metal detecting couple who recently got permission to detect nearby but couldn't find any evidence of a camp to read more follow the links in the show notes and with all stories this week the links are in the show notes that's it for this week's news roundup from the world of metal detecting Okay, I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DetectingDe or Instagram at the Metal Detecting Podcast. If you want to contribute or have suggestions for topics to cover, pop us an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. Don't forget to check out our website at www.TheMetalDetectingShow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. Once again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting.